listening to VSP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 412. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Diastok. Hallo. Hey, son, hey, son, guys. How are things? Good. <laughs> good. Relatively good. Um, <laughs> Relatively good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, as we have a saying that, yeah, because um, an ear and a handle on a plastic bag, we use the same word for ah, in Hungarian. Okay. So mm. the saying goes that, oh, I have two ears and yet I'm not a plastic bag. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's famous words. I mean, I think, why don't we all say that all the time? I think we that's should. great. We should. We should yeah. make it a European-wide thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've yeah. had some listener feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, two weeks ago, I had a heck of a time pronouncing the name of a Turkish researcher that had seven papers retracted because they were, not, well, they were not science. It was religious propaganda. And as I hoped... And said on the episode, good friend of the show, Serdar, came back to help with the pronunciation. Now, Serdar is apparently having construction work going on at home or at work or wherever he is. So it was too noisy for him to record his own voice. So instead, he took the help of AI, because everybody does that nowadays. So the name of the person is... And hang on now, because this is fast. Hussein Chaksen. Hussein Chaksen. I don't know why I a I I don't know why AI is so fast there, but mm-hmm. uh, did you get it? Hussein Chaksen. Hussein Chaksen. Hussein okay. Chaksen. Yes. So now we all know uh, the name of a person that we don't like. Very good. Uh, <laughs> he came from a university that I also struggled with, and that university is pronounced like this. Necmettin Erbakan Üniversitesi. Easy, right? <laughs> Nijmetin yeah. Erbakan University, something like that. Oh, very good, very good. I think that was better <laughs> than the AI. But of course, I don't understand <laughs> really. properly. But yeah. Okay, so that's oh, thank you. Jackson is much, much more, much easier. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's understandable, I think. So, but uh, Sardar also had more information about this guy, Hussein mm-hmm. Jackson. Sardar is actually working on an article for the Skeptic magazine uh, in the UK one. Uh, about a published another published paper not mentioned last or the last time and that is called quote a spiritual view to the huge earthquake in turkey turkey they start to to want us to pronounce not turkey not but turkey turkey but turkey turkey okay try that Turkiye. again i'll i'll mm. give that to ai but anyway that's the that's the <laughs> name of this uh, this paper, and I believe this paper, I haven't read it, but it's trying to, I think, blame the huge earthquake in Turkey last February on the lack of religiosity or something. I don't know. And the author, you can guess who it is, of course. It's mm-hmm. our friend Hussein Jackson. <laughs> so he's at it again. <laughs> And just like the other papers that we mentioned were published in very strange publications, strange magazines where you normally don't have that kind of science. This paper about the earthquake was published in a magazine called, quote, Journal of Child Science, end quote. 
and uh, maybe that is how children do science. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, or, or just science at its infancy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Infantile science, maybe. So uh, thank you very much, Sardar. Very, very much appreciated. And uh, to our other listeners, please look out for Sardar's take on this lunacy in a coming article in the Skeptic UK. I don't know exactly when it's going to be published, but I'm sure it's going to be well worth reading. Mm. Yeah. Just a quick comment on that Turkey um, and Turkish people would like everyone to call the country Turkiye, which is what they call them themselves. Yeah. There are lots of English names for countries that are called completely different in their own language. For example, it's similar to me trying to get everyone to pronounce Hungary's name as Magyarország. So that, I, that, be... won't, that will never fly. I'm saying <laughs> Hungaria myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Magyarorsak? <laughs> Magyarorsak, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, please say Deutschland from now on, okay? Deutschland. Yeah, Deutschland. We are going to Deutschland. Yeah, I, I think they're just tired of people making fun of mm. them being the a turkey like yeah. the animal. So that's why they yeah, want to do we, it. We don't have any issues like that. No, no, no. With Hungarian and Yeah, Hungary. you're just feeling and, uh, hungry at times, right? Yes, we oh, are hungry maybe, all the time. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting there. <laughs> Bad news again from Orban? Or... No, 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 no. It's just no. Um, it feels like I hear more and more stories of people like falling into the poverty, uh, falling under the poverty line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem is that since 2015, we don't have a poverty line because uh, they decided that uh, to get rid of it. <laughs> the, the rationale behind that, getting rid of it completely was that um, Orban the... was no longer poor. Uh, first of all, yes, <laughs> and uh, uh, that was way before that, that he became not poor anymore. Mm. No, but it, they said that it was because the calculations were not up to date, so they needed different formulas, but they never came up with a different formula. No. So it's just not measured anymore. <laughs> so this is how you get rid of poverty. Yeah. You don't measure it. Exactly. Or you redefine it. Yeah. Oh, you really find it. Yeah. So, yeah, but the definitions and all that is um, mostly the work of the philosophers. So, I'm really eager to talk about one of them in the first segment that we usually have, which is Twish, also known as This Week in Skeptical History. And I know it's not very uplifting to use someone's date of death as an opportunity to talk about them, but <laughs> still, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and this week, we are commemorating a philosopher and mathematician who went by the name Bertrand Arthur William Russell. He was also known as the Third Earl Russell. So he was nobility in the United Kingdom. And he was born on the 18th of May, 1872, to a very, very well-off family. His parents were the Viscount and Viscountess Amberley. So that was a big deal. And um, his grandfather used to be the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Oh. Yeah. Since the birthday is on the 18th of May, this is not the date to commemorate. But his death, which happened on the 2nd of February, 1970. He received a secular upbringing with several private tutors of high acclaim at the time. And he became one of the most prominent logicians of the 20th century. He was also a proponent of logicism, the thought that mathematics can be considered nothing else but a derivative of classical logic. 
And mm-hmm. he wrote about that in one of his first major books, Principia Mathematica. If it sounds a little familiar, <laughs> it's because does. it's very similar <laughs> to someone else's work, a major work, and that is Isaac Newton. But uh, Isaac Newton's book bore the title Philosophia Naturae, I think it was. Uh, never mind. Principia <laughs> Mathematica. So, so it was about the mathematical principles of natural history. But Principia Mathematica was dealing with the major ideas behind mathematics. So he was a great mind, but he was also a pacifist and a humanitarian and a great proponent of freedom of thought. He got a multitude of medals and honors alongside, of course, being a member of the House of Lords of the United Kingdom, which was a hereditary thing for him. His honors and medals included a Nobel Prize in Literature in 1950. And his ideas greatly influenced 20th century philosophy of science as well. But one of the things that he's most famous for, especially among skeptics and atheists, is his agnosticism. He regarded all religions as a kind of organized superstition and came up with some of the most popular ideas still circulating among humanists and atheists who tried to argue against the existence of any kind of God. He dealt a lot with the opposition between science and religion, and he formulated a very clever idea to illustrate how the burden of proof falls upon those who make far-fetched and unfalsifiable claims, and not the ones refusing to accept them for a lack of evidence. Of course, I am talking about Russell's teapot. Yes. And that is something that we've all heard about. Mm. Um, He came up with the analogy of someone suggesting that a China teapot orbiting the sun somewhere between the orbits of Earth and Mars is out there. But of course, that would be impossible to disprove since the teapot is too small to be revealed by even the most powerful equipment. Mm -hmm. Very smart. Therefore, he added, saying that is undoubtedly true, that that China teapot is out there, would make no sense. But somehow, religions make it okay to make arguments like that and get away with it. Most gods are invisible, yes. Exactly. And since they are the ones who can who can do anything, they can make themselves invisible, and therefore they are impossible to detect and, and, and things like that. So because of this, Russell's teapot has since become an iconic idea. One that formed the basis of many parodies and criticism of religion, like the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Mm. That is basically a direct derivative of Russell's teapot. And I think it's hilarious. But um, as with all of us, God eventually took him too, just like he did with uh, that Nietzsche guy, you know, who famously wrote that God is dead. Well, he lived a lot longer than than Nietzsche did, who died at the age of 55. But uh, Russell didn't die very young. So he died on the 2nd of February, 1970, at the beautifully old age of 97. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if it had anything to do with his mind constantly being on and just working like crazy. Uh, Or maybe that was the high quality of the tea he was drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the upbringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. (laughs) The tea from the China teapot, you mean? Mm. You can't prove that he didn't drink from that teapot. Exactly. I cannot prove that. And there are lots of other things that we cannot prove. And uh, he was one of the greatest minds pointing that out. So, uh, yeah. Let's use his, his date of death to commemorate him for the great work he did. Absolutely. Yeah. Or the philosophy of science. Um, but with that, I think it's time for us to move on to the news. 
Yes, and of course we have to talk a little bit about measles again. Uh, oh, no. we, we, yeah, I, I'm sorry, but it, it is important. Uh, so I need to come back to it from time to time. And we all know the story yeah. by now. It is not a benign children's disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it kills people sometimes. It is extremely contagious, which is why you need 95 of the population vaccinated to keep it in check. And the anti-vax movement is spreading disinformation, which prevents us from getting to that 95%. The COVID pandemic hasn't helped either, since a lot of vaccine programs were put on hold or delayed, while we focused on the bigger pandemic instead. But that's coming up to bite us in the ass right now. So it's not strange, and as we we have predicted this in the past, and it wasn't hard to predict, outbreaks do now occur all over the place from time to time. The last example is in Birmingham in the UK. Birmingham Children's Hospital is currently seeing the highest number of hospitalized children with measles in mm. decades. In the month measuring from mid-December to roughly mid-January, there have been over 50 children in need of treatment. So that's so bad that they had to go to the hospital. And, you know, you don't want to spend Christmas in, in hospital. No. Uh, that is, you don't want to go to hospital at all, but it's bad timing. Dr. Neil Bug, Deputy Medical Director at Birmingham's Women's and Children's NHS Foundation Trust. Say that quickly if you can had this to say about how contagious measles is. Quote, If you put a child with measles in a room with 10 unvaccinated people, nine of them would catch it. Well... Provided they are not vaccinated. That was my addition at the end there. Let me just point out something very important here. Yeah. How fitting the name Neil Bug is for someone (laughs) who works in epidemiology. I just can't. (laughs) <laughs> I just realized that. Yeah, Sorry. but there is a phenomenon that people actually tend to work with things that fits their name. Their names? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's just a, a story, but I've heard about that before. Anyway, he seems <laughs> okay, to be okay. a victim of that. Anyway, hope he's doing a good job. This outbreak is confirmed by the UK Health Security Agency, or the UKHSA, or UKHA. I don't know. You can't say that. Um, And they say that the West Midlands in the UK has had at least 167 laboratory confirmed cases with further 88 likely cases. So the doctor said this is measles, but that didn't actually confirm it in the lab. And normally during a typical winter, they would expect to see none, no measles. Mm. Normally they shouldn't have any measles. Uh, The same agency also said that in Europe last year, up to October, when they had the latest statistics, there was a total of 30,000 reported cases. So then I can add statistically that that would probably lead to about 30 to 50 deaths, because that's Mm -hmm. how deadly it is. Uh, About one or maybe two in a thousand people who catches measles actually dies. So, of course, why is this? Of course, as I mentioned, it's a lot of the the anti-vax movement. Mm. First of all, we've had the long since debunked non-existing link between the MMR vaccine and autism. Despite all the information out there, people still feel scared about this. Some people also put it off due to the fact that some vaccines contain pork gelatin. And we know that some people do not want to go close to pigs. 
But there are alternatives widely available without pork gelatin, but people may not know that. Our friend Edzard Ernst comments on this news item too, and he points out that not only do we have to fight the anti-vaxxers per se, the, the spreaders of misinformation, but also the huge number of alternative quacks that offer so-called alternative protection, end quote, against measles and, and other diseases as well. So we have homeopaths, chiropractors, naturopaths, and the like. And they happily sell sugar pills and other good-for-nothing potions to people who feel hesitant about vaccines. This is really dangerous also because it creates a false sense of security among certain people. Because they think they've done something, but when in fact uh, sugar pills do not protect you from measles. Shocker. So there are no alternatives to vaccines. And they are safe and effective. And we just need to let everybody know that all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. When you were talking about vaccines, you just mentioned sugar pills. And I want to talk a bit more about sugar pills mm. in homeopathy. Because it seems that there's... Globally! Yeah, globally. Because <laughs> there seems to be a bit of a change coming in Switzerland in um, regards to homeopathy. And interestingly, Switzerland had a bit of a history when it came to homeopathy with its public healthcare system. And I'll just give you a bit of an overview. I've got all of that that I'm talking about out of an article from Edzard Ernst's blog written by, and I was a guest writer and that's why I'm mentioning it, written by my friend Udo Endruscheid from Information mm. Network Homeopathy. Mm -hmm. And they did have an interesting history, um, Switzerland that is, Because in the 90s, they were desiring to include so-called alternative medicine in the public healthcare system and wanted to include that in basic insurance. Then the Complementary Medicine Evaluation Program, called PEK, was initiated to evaluate procedures like that. That was 1999. And then um, in 2005, the Shang Ega study happened um, that was on homeopathy's clinical effects and it yielded negative results, which, which meant that the provisional inclusion of homeopathy in the healthcare system was terminated. Then in Good. 2000, and yes, <laughs> exactly. But that's not where it stops. Because in 2009, there was a referendum on the scam, and I'll call it scam after the wonderful acronym that Edzard Ernst invented, I think. Mm -hmm. So there was a referendum on the scam inclusion in the Swiss federal constitution, and around two-thirds of those who elected were in support of that. But only 17% of the total electorate actually voted. So of the 17%, two-thirds were for inclusion. Then in 2011, scam representatives were asked to provide proof of uh, the efficacy and the economic efficiency. They, of course, couldn't <laughs> provide conclusive proof. Then in uh, 2017, inclusion of uh, scam methods were allowed again in the benefit catalog, even without the immediate proof of efficacy. Then in 2019, the health insurer's umbrella organization, Sante Suisse, or Sante Suisse, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, 
They raised concern uh, about the cost utility of scam and the inclusion. And what happened now is that one brave citizen <laughs> demanded a new evaluation of homeopathy and got that accepted. So um, they are now debating oh. it again. And uh, there seems to be a new evaluation and a new process underway. The hope is just that the debate will lead to not prolonging the uh, inclusion of homeopathy. But ah, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting what you can see here because what you basically see here and that's also what, what Udo Endrescheid points out is that we can see the consequences of scientific questions just being decided by majorities. Yeah. Because... Yeah. It's, it's like, it, you know, it's like voting. There's something wrong with my car. So I'll yeah. gather all the neighbors to vote on what's wrong with it. Yes. Yes, exactly <laughs> that. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and the problem is like if you, if you put that onto science and onto scientific validity then you have a big problem because science should always be grounded in objective research and in peer review and uh, in empirical stuff in, in science rather than in, in public sentiment or voting outcomes. That's just not how it should be. Yeah, but the, all the better that they are talking about it again. And yeah, we will keep yeah. you updated on what's, what will happen there. This shows very well how important it is that public healthcare system is based on science and scientific medicine mm -hmm. or science-based medicine. And I also like the fact about this news item that you brought that one person can actually achieve that move. Like yes. they are now considering the scientific evidence in order to to make the good decisions. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I like that fact. Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about like a direct democracy, as, as you call it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, there are other heroes out there, small teams and small groups of people who try to do the good thing, the, the right thing. And one of them is the Austrian, um, well, staying in the neighborhood <laughs> from Switzerland, there is uh, the Austrian organization that is called, and I'm going to make an attempt at it in German, <laughs> Initiative für Wissenschaftliche Medizin. Yeah, sounds good. That I would say okay. Mm -hmm. So it's the the initiative for scientific medicine. It's it's a translation. They are a small team supported by more than a thousand medical doctors and scientists in Austria, and they promote science based medicinal practices and appeal to all professional medical organizations to pledge to do the same. Unfortunately, to no avail, it seems. Mm. Mostly because one of the highest ranking ones among those organizations that they appeal to, the Austrian Academy of Physicians seems to be massively off that track of using science-based medicinal practices and promoting them. The Austrian Academy of Physicians is basically a further training organization of the Austrian Medical Association. So every country has their own medical associations. Those are the major bodies of the profession in a country that oversee basically everything. So this Austrian Academy of Physicians organizes and accredits courses as well as award special diplomas for diagnostic and therapeutic methods, which would all be good, except for the fact that they seem to be peddling pseudo-medicine in the process. Mm. The Initiative for Scientific Medicine compiled a list of all the events, like educational events, linked to the academy that were on or about some, uh, well, let's, let's just call them scam modalities, uh, ranging from anthroposophy and homeopathy to all kinds of TCM, traditional Chinese medicine practices. And we are talking about thousands of those events. 
So it's not like two or three, thousands over more than two decades. But still, um, it I seems mean, thousands. They have compiled them. Yes. Wow. Um, so with that, we can safely assume that there is no scientific standards required to get on that list of accredited courses that they run, which is terrible. And as it earns, goes as far as to saying that the Austrian Medical Academy should be in the Guinness Book of Records for promoting quackery, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which sounds funny, but unfortunately, that is very true. I cannot name any other organization of that high level and with that high level of influence on the medicinal practices in a country that would paddle pseudoscience and, and quackery. And the small but very devoted team of the Initiative for Scientific Medicine deserves our gratitude and all the credit for keeping an eye on what's going on with them. Promoting quackery is something that the highest ranking professional organizations should refrain from, as we know there are practices that are outright dangerous in traditional or so-called alternative medicine, and others just simply don't work. They are no. ineffective. And that's dangerous too, because people take them instead of proper medicine. Yeah, exactly. So probably authorities should keep at least as close an eye on them as the Initiative for Scientific Medicine does. And uh, yeah, congratulations to, to these guys and keep up the good work. Good work is actually something that happens a lot in the skeptical bubble, so to say. Yeah. And there's a new article out by Jonathan Jerry that I think created a few waves across our skeptosphere, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is titled The Graveyard of Skeptical Projects Suggests It's Funding, Not Talent That We're Lacking. Which I think is something we can, even without reading it, already nod and say like, yeah, that's probably true. Yes, send us more money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> end, end of the story. <laughs> send us enough money for us to live on so that we can quit our jobs and do skeptical activism as a profession. Yes, full time. Yes, that's, that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The thing is that it's not even full time skeptics that would be needed. It's even projects that you go under. Because in this article, he discusses the challenges faced by skeptical uh, projects, and it highlights the struggle for funding. He gives examples like Bad Science Watch and Sense About Science USA, and uh, Truth or Fiction, which was a website. And they all ceased operations because of financial constraints. There, of course, was also a bit of an impact that the pandemic had because especially those that were funded by donations faced a big drop. And also the volunteer support changed because of the pandemic. And when the costs were much, much higher than the donations that came in, they had to pull the plug because you can't put your own uh, private money into it, of course. I think I think a lot of us do anyway, but exactly. Not, uh, but you enough. can't fund like an actual big project. Like you mm. don't even have the money for that. You know, mm. it would financially ruin you completely. He talks specifically about Bad Science Watch and Sense About Science USA and also Truth or Fiction. And Truth or Fiction um, was a fact-checking website, and it actually faced another financial challenge. They started with advertising as its funding model, which is, of course, something else than um, having donations. But there, the advertisers could give a preference of, like, for example, blacklisting certain words. So uh, if they would say, like, yeah, we don't want to be advertised besides an article talking about abortion, for example. 
Mm. But the problem was that actually led to basically blacking every news at some point of time so they couldn't get any adverts anymore. And that was a big problem. And then they also had to pull the plug there. So there are several problems, as we can see, several challenges. And that means there is the struggle for sustainable funding. And there is the worry that without adequate financial support, these projects that did such a good work at promoting skepticism and combating misinformation, yeah, there will be more that won't survive. And there are a few solutions there. For example, institutional backing, which means if you are part of a university or university-based office, it, it could give you stability um, and sustainability. Then if you treat skepticism as a public good, <laughs> here, here, that could um, help a lot because it would give you funding and stability. Then long-term funding and product development expertise would be also very helpful because that would overcome the sh this short-term thing that is happening a lot in, in the skeptical movement. And it also would help a bit to not rely solely on academics. And this is the product development expertise uh, where that comes in. Personal approach and integrity would also help. And ultimately, Jonathan Jerry urges wealthy individuals to invest in talented skeptics and to support sustainable infrastructure. So it's, for example, on a political level where, where he sees importance, but also on an individual level. He closes with a quote that I want to quote for you too, because I really liked it. Quote, Without money, our battle has already been lost to entropy and wishful thinking. End quote. Oh, that's very depressing to think about that. So uh, speaking about getting funding mm -hmm. and selling your product, have you, I guess you've heard about the TV show called Dragon's Den. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. In Hungary as well? Have you? Yeah. Uh, no, we don't. We don't have it in Hungary, but I, I've heard about it. We, we do and we call it differently, but we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let me know what it's called, because there's many variants in many countries. And actually, the Japanese original was not called Dragons then. It was called the Tigers of Money. Yeah, ours is called Die Höhle der Löwen, mm. which is the ah. cave of the lions. <laughs> so, it, yeah, so it's a lion's den rather than the dragon's den. Yeah. Okay, okay. But no tigers. No matter what you call it, it is, of course, people would know this, but it's a sort of a game show where entrepreneurs are competing to sell their startup businesses to the tycoon dragons or tigers or lions and get them to invest money in their business adventures. Anyway, Dragon's Den UK, produced by the BBC, has stepped into a doo-doo and is refusing to back down. One of the contestants recently claimed that her, quote, Accuseeds, end quote, product would cure on this is I'm going to stumble on this myalgic encephalomyelitis, ME. I will not try to say it again. I practice all afternoon. I can't say it. ME. It's, a, <laughs> it's an illness. It's an Oris syndrome. Uh, but this contestant called Giselle Boxer said she had used, quote, diet acupuncture, Chinese herbs and ear seeds, end quote, to aid her recovery from ME. And she had turned the latter idea, the ear seeds part, into the brand AccuSeeds. And she said, quote, four years ago, this is on TV, BBC TV. Quote, four years ago, I was diagnosed with ME. I went from working in a top advertising agency with a busy social life and exercising regularly to being mostly housebound, 
unable to walk for more than five minutes without having to get back into bed. I went into a personal healing journey using diet, acupuncture, Chinese herbs and ear seeds, as I said before. Using this combination, I believe, aided my recovery within 12 months. So, <laughs> what are these AccuSeeds? They are described as do-it-yourself needle-free ear acupuncture for anxiety, migraines, hormonal issues, insomnia, weight loss, and more, end quote. So, there's something wrong, but, and more? You can't even name everything it treats? <laughs> Perhaps you haven't done your research. <laughs> I don't know. If you don't know what it does, Probably. how could you... I, ah, crazy. Also, of course, acupuncture, which is the main thing this sort of is alluding to or based on. Acupuncture without needles is not acupuncture, first of all. And even if it were, acupuncture has not produced any convincing proof of efficacy in well-controlled trials. We all know this. So, more technically, the seeds are tiny beads that you attach to your earlobe for some sort of stimulation of something, 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 unknown how. And um, obviously, having this quack treatment being promoted on Prime TV is very problematic. So, uh, patient groups and others in the UK have complained to the BBC about this. And this is what the BBC replied uh, through their spokesman. Quote, Dragon's Den features products from entrepreneurs and is not an endorsement of them. Dragon's Den shows real businesses pitching to investors to lift the lid on what happens in the business world. This episode features an entrepreneur sharing their own personal experience that led to a business creation. End quote. Yeah, right? But you're still promoting mm -hmm. nonsense. Mm -hmm. Yadi, yadi, yadi. Uh, Definitely not good enough uh, because the damage is still done. People are hearing this, thinking maybe there's something in it. And I, I guess the BBC could have been this week's winner of the really wrong award. Yes. Yeah, and it's also like to say, mm. yeah, yeah, it's not endorsing them. But it's like, hmm, guys, I know that the moment it came in our Lion's Den show... It usually was in the shops and it got bought by a lot of people. It's almost like free advertisement. It is. It is absolutely <laughs> free. Yeah. It's it's too easy for of them it to is. <laughs> and national TV. Yeah. It's it's lazy mm. of them to say like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't mean we promote it. <laughs> we don't endorse no, it. No, it's it's saying we invite whoever we want to our show and what they say is no concern of ours. Yeah. You no responsibility at all from the TV yeah. show. It's a very, very lazy result. We just film it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just broadcasted it to millions of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You did say that it could have been really wrong this week, but we decided it, it wouldn't be. So uh, let's find out who got that prize eventually. Yes, and it's also something on the British Isles, <laughs> so it could have been a BBC, but it will. it's actually a country. And it's Scotland. Oh. I'm very sorry, Scottish All people. All of Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> Brian, where are you? I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will receive it because despite the climate crisis, Scotland continues to burn carbon-rich peatlands through a practice called Moorburn, well, Moorburn, um, my Scottish is not the best, 
And that, of course, impacts these vital ecosystems. Normally, burning that is intended to encourage new vegetation for game birds, livestock, and so on to encourage that. But um, this damages the peat. And now you might wonder, what, what is peat? <laughs> peat is a soil type, and it's partially decomposed plant matter, mosses, other organic materials. And this accumulated over thousands of years in waterlogged conditions and then forms peatlands or bogs. And why do we like this so much? Because it, A, is a carbon sink. It stores a large amount of carbon. And on the other hand, it also can store a lot of water. So if you damage these peatlands, you not only release the carbon, you also hurt biodiversity and you hurt, uh, you damage water regulation or, or water regulation system. And this is just not good, Scotland. Like we're, we're very unhappy with that in a time where we know that the climate crisis is happening and we know that it's going on and on and on. They are still one third of all moorland burning in Scotland occurs on peatlands. Mm. The burning also hasn't decreased since 2017. Scotland will very likely really need new legislation with that, new wildlife management and so on and so on. So for making bad situations worse and literally or quite almost quite literally adding oil to fire, Scotland <laughs> and especially the people who damage and burn carbon rich peatlands receive this week's prize for being really wrong. Yeah. And if you change regulations and stop it, we promise to give you a really right. Yes. So here's your yes. carrot. <laughs> here's your <laughs> chance. <laughs> Show us what you can do. That is a promise that we intend to keep. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Unfortunately, burning peat is a very long tradition in Scotland. Mm. Some of the whiskies that are smoky and peated, so some of the whiskey distilleries use peat as well. Not necessarily distilleries themselves, because it's how they stop the malting process. They use peat smoke, but that's not that much of an amount. And some distilleries have stopped using that. Mm. And most of the peatlands are protected anyway. So it shouldn't be that difficult to keep away from burning them. Plus, Scotland used to be covered in forests which have already been chopped down over the centuries. Mm. (laughs) And now there are only the peatlands that remain. And now getting rid of those as well. Uh, Well done. Bad idea, yeah. uh, Yeah, it's worthy of a really wrong price. And it's so interesting. If you think about peatlands and bogs, and you're probably thinking, oh, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's pretty fast growing. But that actually is not true because peat is only growing, I looked it up, only a millimeter per year. So it Mm. it takes about a thousand years to just get one meter of peat. Yeah, as you said, as you said, it's mostly things like mosses. Those are not generating a lot of biomass overnight. It takes a lot of time, as well as the carbonification process Mm -hmm. that that starts when it starts decomposing. So it it is actually a fossil fuel. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. So this is why it's a carbon sink, Mm -hmm. because a lot of that biomass will be storing carbon. And as it gets covered and it it gets buried under the ground, it goes through the carbonification process and it can go through. If enough time is given, it becomes brown coal, then it can go even even as far as to anthracite. But it takes 100 100 million years or so. Mm. And the other thing is that at that stage of the carbonification process, 
it will not be able to generate that much heat. So the energy that can come out of it is much lower than something that has gone through longer times and mm-hmm. periods of carbonification. Yeah, so yeah. please stop burning that and then you will receive a really red award. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, but that brings us to the end of the show, which is usually marked by a quote. So, Annika, I believe we've got a quote from Swanman very special. Yes, we have a quote, and not very surprisingly, it is a quote by Bertrand Russell, the um, nobleman that you talked about in Twish. And the quote is, The scientific attitude of mind involves a sweeping away of all other desires in the interests of the desire to know. It involves suppression of hopes and fears, loves and hates, and the whole subjective emotional life, until we become subdued to the material, able to see it frankly, without preconceptions, without bias, without any wish except to see it as it is, and without any belief that what it is must be determined by some relation, positive or negative, to what we should like it to be, or to what we can easily imagine it to be. End quote. Mm. It's quite a long quote. And the, the, the only thing, I, I fully agree, except that if you read it, you can get the impression that emotions are not allowed. Mm-hmm. And they are, obviously. But when you're going to find out how the world works, then you should put them to the side and not wish. Yes. You should not let your emotion get in the way of the end result. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the result... Maybe you can feel bad about it or good about it, but not until you've found the actual truth. Yes. And, and that's for you to deal with at the end. But yes. Don't let it bias the conclusions that you come to as a result of your scientific studies. So this is a true scientific attitude. This is what the methods of science are built on mm-hmm. uh, that need to get rid of all that because we need to be objective, as objective as possible. Yeah, to focus on observing and understanding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Precisely. Yeah, and Russell knew exactly what he was talking about. So... That concludes our show, and I'd like to encourage everyone listening to this that if you like the show, please spread the word. Please, if you haven't yet, uh, subscribe and leave reviews and give us five stars on all the podcast sharing applications you can. And please let other people know that we are out there. And um, if you want to support our work in a different way as well, you can do that. Yes, you can join us on uh, patreon.com slash the ESP where you can find all the levels where you can support us. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just a dollar or two or a euro or two per month will be very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. But if if you don't want to do that, you don't want to commit to a regular contribution, you can give us a one-off donation on PayPal as well or just drop us a line. But you can help by just sharing the show and letting other people know that it's out there. Um, But... We really need to close this week's episode down. So, Anika and Pontus, I'd like to thank both of you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And many, many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so and spread the word. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat.
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Sorry, I go, go back to that. You also <laughs> mentioned... No. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear the bloody noise outside? No. What is it? It is the bloody ice cream van. Uh. It is in the middle of the winter. Ooh. And they are infamous. <laughs> they have this van and it goes around and it, they park at the corner and then they play this stupid melody to lure out all the kids. Mommy, daddy, want to buy ice cream? I wonder um, if it's the same tune that uh, is used in It is. In our do, 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 so now in, our, uh, in Hungary it's and we even wrote yeah there is there is a popular wording for it as well like which which translates as uh, tell your mom to give you money <laughs> that works <laughs> <laughs> and um Sorry, I just noticed that someone uh, deleted uh, the... Is the... Yeah, exactly, because now it's a different... Sorry, I replaced the quote. Yeah, I, I, I noticed. I, 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 I just wanted to make sure that we could, that's what we happened. Could use some, you could use one that has not been used before. I was just so good, <laughs> the, the one that was also on the series. You're fine. It smells good, too. Okay.